Welcome to the Sports Fan Radio podcast. Today we talk with golf professional and coach Sandy Jamison. Sandy is a former pro at Commonwealth Golf Course who left the world of private golf clubs to start up one club golf at public courses. Special guest today, Sandy Jamison. Sandy, you've had a fair history in golf and interested me to start off was one club golf. Perhaps you can explain to our viewers uh, just what one club golf is and uh, I wish I had it, that had been around when I started. Yeah, look, one club golf um, is, as it says, it's golf with just one club. So it's how I started the game. My dad bought me a cut-down club. And then for whatever reason, the industry lost its way for, I think, in my opinion, for 25 years where they said, if you want to play golf, you need to have five lessons before you start. You need to learn how to play all the shots and, and buy a set of golf clubs. And I believe that's one of the reasons golf went backwards for a long time. So with my one club golf, what I say is, Um, With this one club, we'll have you on the course within 15 minutes and a good golfer within an hour guaranteed. And um, we've done that successfully over 600 times now. So we've never had someone fail to become a good golfer in their first ever session. Is it a seven iron? No, it's... um, Oh, look, it's a cross between multiple clubs. It's my special herbs and spices. So it's it's probably a longer iron in loft and a shorter iron in length. it's got a putter grip on it, so I don't have to yeah. spend time teaching people a whole lot of stuff about just about how to get around the golf course. Okay. That'd be it's not, um, I'm glad it's not a one-iron because Lee Trevino always said if there's ever a storm, lightning storm, hold up a one-iron because even God can't hit a one-iron. Yeah, exactly right. No, nah, look, it's not. But, look, that's part of, the, part of the thing as well. So my definition of a good golfer and for all you golfers in the audience out there, um, You'll probably agree when I say it is a good golfer, someone who can play safely at a speed that allows everyone else to get around the golf course. They play within their skill level, so they're not trying to hit shots they can't hit. They look after the golf course and they're good company. That's that's all it is. Whereas I think a lot of people who don't play golf, and you know, I love speaking to shows like yourself because we're talking to non-golfers as well. You know, their perception of golf is it's a difficult game, whereas I think golf's the easiest game in the world. It's a simple game. Anyone can play it. Not like um, not like football or, or league or any other sport where you need people of similar skill levels to have a good time. A beginner can play with Tiger Woods, if Tiger could play that. It is at the moment. But, yeah, and have a, good, have a great day. I used to play off nine, then I went and had three kids. So I'd, I'd be happy to get out there with a cricket bat, I reckon. <laughs> Maybe soon. Sandy, you've been described as the undisputed uh, champion for public golf, and that's by no less than uh, uh, Golf Digest magazine. Extraordinarily, you went from the club pro at Commonwealth Golf Club, which is obviously one of the the better or better-known golf clubs, uh, to become the pro at Oakley, which which is a nine-hole course. Can you just tell us why you did that? Yeah, okay. When I first did it, everyone assumed I must have been sacked because why would you leave Commonwealth to go to mm-hmm. a golf course? Um, the reality is this is pre-pandemic. I, when I started at Commonwealth uh, 2010, had a full membership and a waiting list um, and, and a substantial joining fee. Then sort of towards the end of 2019, or into, <coughs> there was no waiting list. There was no... Um, the joining fee was still there. You didn't have to know members. The membership wasn't full. So I saw the business was um, shrinking. And that's not just Commonwealth. I mean, you know, Yarra Yarra, Huntingdale, all these top courses that used to have to wait 10 years to join, you can walk straight in. 
I then went and looked at public golf courses and Oakley, for instance, had gone from 42,000 rounds 25 years prior down to 17,000 rounds and it looked like closing. I, I, I couldn't see any other option like Elston Wick in Melbourne closed. The pressures on public golf courses, North gets under fire at the moment, which I'm sure you've probably read in the newspapers. And, you know, for all your listeners out there and for you guys who are on screen with me now, if you play golf, put your hand up in the air. So just put your hand up. Or if you're driving the car, just your finger up, folks. Um, I, want you to, I want you to put your hand down or your finger down if you started playing golf on a private golf course. Well, I'll bet you nearly everyone's hand's still up. Everyone starts at public golf. Mm. So I love the game of golf. But if public golf goes, it's going to spell the end for private golf as well. And um, when I went back to public golf, what I found also too is that the perception of people in society is that all golf, all forms of golf was the same and predominantly that's rich white men. Um, The reality at public golf courses is nothing could be further from the truth. We have all sorts of people from different economic and social and um, cultural backgrounds and it's a very cheap game to play. And I know I've been involved in the Northcote, um, the Northcote campaign. And when the people who are trying to save Northcote Golf Course pounded the streets, the people in the local area didn't understand what public golf was. So if you're out, if you're listening to the show and you you also don't know, public golf in Australia is subsidised by the council, and it gives everyone a chance to play a game of golf. So at Oakley. Today on a weekend or a public holiday, it's $20 to play nine holes or midweek concessions, $13.50. Whereas the nearest golf to it is private golf and the cheapest fees at a private golf club within 10 days would be four grand a year. So, Sandy, also one of the great myths of golf is that people get into it because they watch Greg Norman um, going around and think, I, don't, I want to be like him. But I think the reality is somewhat different. Is that, is that your perception? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, and look, the golfing bodies themselves have spent a lot of money trying to find another Greg Norman in the hope that that's going to increase participation because everyone has thought Greg Norman caused the boom. The The reality is since all the money's gone into elite golf, we've produced Adam Scott and Jason Day, who both reached number one in the world, and golfing numbers did not spike. Uh, if you look at um, probably more to the core, and this is a really sad indictment on the game of golf, is if you watch the rise of golf with Greg Norman and you followed the graph that went up and then when Greg stopped playing, it's, it went down, there were two other graphs that were really interesting. There was a graph that pretty much exactly mirrored Greg Norman's rise and fall, and that was immigration from the UK and Ireland. And then there's another graph that went up with Greg Norman going up and continued up, which is immigration from Southeast Asia. So golf clubs and facilities didn't reach out to these new immigrants to to our country and say, hey, listen, golf in Australia is not like it is where you're from. So these people from China, India and so on are typically middle class. Um, Compared to Australians, middle class, they had a lot of money. But in their countries, they weren't welcome on a golf course and they wouldn't even think of golf. So part of what I've been doing at Oakley, where in the city of Monash, we've got 44,000 people who speak Mandarin or Cantonese. 
is I've employed a community coach who speaks Mandarin and Cantonese, and we've gone out to the community and we've welcomed them onto the golf course. Well, this is what golf's been crying out for, I think, Sandy, for years. We've been talking about the, the fact that the, the average person just doesn't identify with, with, with golfers, and particularly women, I, I suspect, that they just don't see that that's, that's for them. Uh, how, how would you respond to that? Yeah, look, golf, uh, golf's interesting. The, the stats on golf are pretty damning. So over the last 25-year period, women's participation at club golf with handicapped golf has gone from 33%. It was down to 19%. Um, Post-pandemic, it's gone down to 18%. Um, it's shrinking. And a lot of that is that golf clubs have not catered to the changing, this is my opinion, it'd be great to ask women more what they think rather than me just spout it out, but golf clubs haven't catered to working women um, because, you know, I think in that 20-year <coughs> year period, most households, the both the, both the pe- people in the house are now breadwinners and women tend to take a greater responsibility for looking after kids and, and the rest of it. So golf clubs may have spent $14 million on a clubhouse in that time on a nice new fancy function room, but there's no childcare there. Um, you know, the, our priorities are a bit out. Having said that, at public golf, the percentage of women that play golf is higher than at private golf with handicaps, and that can be down to probably a few things. One is um, it's not necessarily competition-based. It's a social-based thing. But another thing comes back to the social inequality of um, women in the workforce, you know, the they earn $25,000 less per year for doing the same job than men. Um, a lot of older women in particular, I was talking to some women the other day at a golf club, they were both professional. Actually, one was a lawyer, one was an um, academic. And when they started work, they weren't allowed to have superannuation. I forget what year that came in when women could have superannuation. So we've got a, an older section of the population who simply can't afford to be members of a private golf club. So, you know, we need to total, total revamp, but I'm not sure the appetite's there at private golf clubs to change a lot because their membership's full because of the pandemic. So, you know, why change? Which is one of the extraordinary, um, and I would have thought counterintuitive uh, things of, the, of COVID, Sandy, is that golf seems to have gone well over COVID, despite the fact people weren't playing. Yeah, look, it has gone well. I think that... Um, and there'll be a lot of people in the golf industry out there who don't want me to say this, but I, I don't really care what other people want me to say. I think the pandemic's been really bad for golf. And short term, yes, the coffers are full and people are playing golf. They've, for the most part, the people I saw on the golf course had a set of golf clubs tucked away in the shed that they hadn't used for years. They've come out because it was one of the few things we can do outdoors. You know, junior footy's been shut down footy in general has been shut down and they've gone and play golf and it's made the facilities in the clubs full and therefore the facilities and clubs that were struggling before the pandemic that were starting to do different things like more flexible memberships, um, trying to entertain new ideas. They've now said, well, everyone loves our game. So, you know, they've come back to what we were doing is correct. And I think that will I think that will change pretty rapidly. A lot of the clubs around Melbourne, their fees are due now. And uh, I know I was talking to one club the other day, they've had 50 resignations and there's still over 100 people that haven't paid their fees. 
So we'll see what happens. I was going to say that time's a big part of it. I used to play cricket and I'd leave at 10 in the morning and only have a beer or two afterwards and get home at 8, you know, sunburnt, bent over. With golf, you're not sort of getting there playing 18 holes, traditional golf, that is, in anywhere under five hours with your travel time and everything. That, that's a big chunk out of the weekend. Um, and anyone with a family, you'd have to have a pretty uh, supportive partner to get five or six hour leave pass, if you call it that, every weekend. Um, anything that's, that's the same way with televised sport, like 2020 cricket took off, it's all over in three hours. And yeah, if look, you can get a golf game in in an hour or two, that's a lot different to five hours regularly because people just don't have the time. Absolutely. Look, you're right there in some ways and I'll say you're incorrect in other ways. So, for instance, yes, if, if your idea of golf is that one person from the household goes out and plays golf and you need that five-hour leave pass, um, yeah, that's a problem. But where golf's been pretty ordinary, has anyone on the panel ever seen it being advertised bring your family and play nine holes of golf, family golf. It's never been done. They, they segregate the game. They say it's a junior clinic or a women's clinic or a seniors clinic. I don't buy the time thing, and I'll tell you why. Or the money thing either. So at Oakley, if you want to play nine holes of golf with the family uh, at Oakley, it's going to cost you about 54 bucks. You're all getting concession rates. And you'll be around the golf course in an hour and a half to two hours total. How long does it take you to go to a game at AFL or league? How much does it cost? So you actually take the family to a game. It takes up more than half the day, even though the game only goes for a couple of hours, you know, tops with all the other stuff. And I think it's not time. It's just our game of golf, which can, it's unique because everyone can play together. You can have a four-year-old and a 94-year-old playing, but the game of golf just hasn't reached out to that because they've been stuck in the old way of, okay, golf's a game for, you know, a certain demographic of the population rather than just inviting everyone. Before you get the red carpet out there, you haven't met my two sons. I'll tell you what, if you can keep them active, I'll be very happy. Ah, it's easy. <laughs> Mate, you it's might find that I'm game. driving up and you're with the kids. But I had... Um, well, it's going to say we, we've had um, Shane Crawford's boys came out to Oakley and played, and you reckon your kids are tough, Croft's boys, and oh my God, they're like yeah. tornadoes. So, and they went around there, no problems at all. He was pretty wild back in the day too, in other ways, I think, but anyway, that's another topic. So, yeah. Yeah. Sandy, you mentioned uh, Greg Norman before. Now, of course, and we've spoken about this in the show, the, uh, the Super Golf League that he's trying to get up with Saudis and... Uh, well, I don't like it. I don't, I don't like the Saudis for a start. But um, talking about women and uh, and their and their views on that. But but I just wondered if you could give us an idea as to where that's going and where you think generally world golf is going because it seems to me it's in a bit of an upheaval state yeah, at the moment. Yeah, absolutely. I said the Saudis proudly nominated. They executed eighty-one people yesterday, um, which was pretty ordinary. They hit the news today. Um, look. I think you're going to get disruptors coming into the market for a few different reasons. The main reason is, for the most part, the PGA Tour golf has become the most boring drudge you could ever hope to watch on television. Uh, Apart from maybe 12 weeks of the year, you know, you've got the majors and you had um, Riviera the other week, but the majority of it is boring. Um, There's probably only about 20 players on the tour that would move the needle. Like, I mean, 
if you were going to watch golf, there's names there that you've never heard of and it's not that interesting. You know, you'll turn on to watch Rory McIlroy, John Ram, uh, Ram, um, yeah, Phil Mickelson, <laughs> not anymore. But um, so the disruptors are out there because they see that the top players themselves don't want to be playing as often as they're playing um, and they believe they're worth more money. And that's a pretty fair indication. Like Tiger Woods, when you look at all the prize money he's earned over the years, um, he's dragged everyone along with him. So the PGA Tour, for your listeners that don't know, is an organisation. It's a players' organisation. So it's owned by the players for the players and all the executives' wages are based on giving more play opportunity for the players. So because of such, you've got 125 exempt players I think it's 42 tournaments a year of which the top players only really want to play about 20 weeks. So you've got half the weeks of the year where it's a bit boring. Um, enter gambling money. So there's a lot of hedge funds and people out there who are looking at golf saying, geez, we'll make a lot out of the punt. And um, they're just going to keep throwing money and they're going to keep trying to make changes. So, yeah. So it's not the Saudi Sandy, it'll be somebody else, what you're saying, but it's going yep. to be somebody. Yeah. Yep, somebody's going to come in. My bet is the PGA Tour, from what I hear, are about to make a whole lot of changes, so they're going to try and steal all the ideas. Um, the fall series, which was sort of after the, um, the playoffs, uh, the TV ratings have been abysmal. I hear they're looking at they're going to change something there, but um, golf will definitely change. Unfortunately, the PGA Tour staff um, don't have the incentive to change it for the better of the fans. For, for you and I who might want to switch on the golf, um, you know, it's, uh, they're not thinking about us. They're thinking about creating player opportunities. Talking about fans, the, is it the 17th of Scottsdale, where if you get a hole in one, the crowd goes absolutely ballistic? Um, Pretty sure that- it's the 16th. But, yeah, um, they do go nuts. I, I used to coach Jared Lyle, and Jared had a hole in one there. And, uh, <laughs> I, I mean, they start throwing beer on people. and um, Throw beer on the, on the green. <laughs> yeah. Oh, look. Is that the hole that Robert Allen be complained about? And he, the next, next night he's in a strip joint? <laughs> he, he thought, he thought I think people he might were being be... unruly. He, he got so drunk in a strip joint, doesn't remember seeing any women. Uh, look, I used to coach Robert Allenby too for a period of time, so um, I'll plead the fifth there. Okay, yeah. Is he a decent guy? He strikes me as a bit of a... Um, yeah, not so decent, no. Oh, look, Rob's great when he's... I think... Rob's got white line fever. Yeah. Um, like a lot of professional athletes, you meet them off the golf course. They're fantastic. He, he gets he gets over the line. He's a super competitive um, guy. So, you know, and I think also too, because he was so good so young, very few people around Rob ever said no to him or ever picked him up on things. So he does have that persona. But look, the work he's done for Challenge Cancer has been amazing. The amount of money they've raised and he really does care it's just, of course, he's such a competitor that um, sometimes um, sometimes says things that are maybe not that wise. I read recently about Shane Warne. He was so competitive that you could walk into a revolving door first and he'd come out before you. That's how, <laughs> that's how competitive like that. he is. So. I like that. The Sands, finally, where does this leave Australian golf at the moment? Because we, you know, you and I have, and all of us probably grew up with uh, major tournaments in Australia, world uh, you know, top players, Jack Nicholas, etc., um, would all come out. And it just seems to me that it's just getting, we're getting less of the pickings every year. Do, do you see that 
continuing? Yeah, 100%. And I think that for all the golf fans out there, all the people who want to see professional sport in the country, everyone should hope that the PGA Tour implodes. <laughs> so that, you know, the PGA Tour changes to sort of 25 tournaments a year of value that are during the US summer. Because at the moment, with all the golf that goes on for 42 weeks of the year, our young players that you might want to see play golf, they can't come back to Australia because they've got to stay in America and play golf. Um, back when the PGA Tour was around that length, at the end of the year, you would have guys like, uh, well, Nicholas Palmer, player Trevino. They all came out to Australia because they had contracts with club companies. So Slazenger used to make clubs for most of those guys. And they would come out here to play the Australian Open to fulfil their obligations. Whereas because the US Tour is so massive and plays every week, those players don't want to come. You know, they they can play for 8 million bucks a week in America. Why would they want to come out here? Um, Ernie Ells used to come and play the Heineken. He got paid decent money to do it. But, you know... The, because there was nothing else to play at that time of the year, he would come. So. We're also competing against all Asian uh, countries, Asian courses. I mean, China, Vietnam, uh, New Zealand. Uh, so there's a lot out here, a lot, lot I, out here in Australia. Well, I think the massive opportunity in golf, and this is maybe a bit of a, um, it shouldn't be left field. This is the opportunity. I think it, if things stay the same with the men's PGA Tour, we should forget about them and we should focus on the LPGA Tour and try and get a swing of great women's events across New Zealand, Australia, and then up to Asia, have a swing there because, quite frankly, the women's game is better to watch than the men's game because the equipment's screwing that up pretty quick. The ball goes so far, all you're doing is watching driver and a wedge. I mean, that's like I go to sleep when I put the PGA Tour on, whereas when the women play, yeah, Heaven forbid they're going to hit a five iron like most other people into a green, not like these pumped up fellas who smash drive a wedge and hack it out of the rough and hole apart. So women's golf, I think that's our big opportunity. My very quick, my Greg Norman story. I was 16. I was a marshal at the Australian Golf Club for the Australian Open and we were allocated a par five and I did three of the four days. The fourth day I was sick. I didn't miss much, apart from Greg Norman holding his second shot on the par five. And to this day, there's a metal plaque there. So what a day to be sick. <laughs> Good timing. I would have been quite pleased right where he's hitting the thing. Anyway, that's all right. I've dealt with it slowly. He was a freak, though. I've never seen crowds like that. Uh, Tiger Woods, uh, pretty similar. But I was there just before Tiger's world fell apart. And there was a dog leg par four that he lived out on. And then a par three no one could play that he hit it that far. If he'd been up all night doing whatever, uh, dating, <clears throat> he was certainly played all right. <laughs> yeah, look, I, I think there's those, those once-in-a-lifetime freaks that um, that we see in most sports, sort of once-in-a-generation freaks. And certainly Greg Norman was it, um, Tiger was it, Seve Ballesteros, like these people could do things other people couldn't do. And they did make the game exciting, but I will still say that it's not those superstars that get a lot of people into golf. It's mums, dads, grandfathers and whatever that get them into golf. You get interested in golf and then all of a sudden you start chasing, watching the superstars. Like yeah. he's in the park kicking the footy, they kick the footy and they get taken to a game and they want to be like the stars. All right, Sandy, awesome. listen, before we go, um, 
can you tell our viewers if they wanted to have a go at one club golf, how they can do that and what it costs? Okay, so simply my website is one, as in the numeral one, club.golf. So oneclub.golf. And the cost of one club golf is um, the same as playing around a golf. So if you want to come down and play one club, it costs um, $25 a player. That includes coaching, your green fees and your equipment. That's as long as you're in a group of four. So if just one person wants to do it, it's 100 bucks. Two people, 50 each. Four people, $25 each. And you can do that. We um, Yarrawonga is up and operating. Oakley's up and operating. Um, Mornington, we can do some. And hopefully we're about to get Sandringham up and going as well. So um, check out the website. It sounds like a great initiative, Sandy. Uh, thanks very much for being with us today. We really appreciate you giving us your time. No worries, fellas. Um, good luck with the show. Thanks for listening to the Sports Fan Radio podcast. If you like what you've been listening to, subscribe to the podcast. You can also get more Sports Fan Radio on our YouTube channel. Mm-hmm.